Welcome to Love Letters from Jesus, the podcast that brings you the Sermon of the Week, with your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic. Hello, this is Love Letters from Jesus. I am your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic. Welcome once again. It is a beautiful evening here in Fredericksburg, Texas. I am so glad to be with you. I have my cup of Italian coffee or coffee, cafe italiano and talk to you a little bit about a few things before we get started tonight. Um, You can find this podcast on Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify or Anchor. And we also have a website. And that website is Love Letters from jesus.com and you can go there i have options with that website where i can sell merchandise if i want to and i haven't wanted to there's a donation button on there if i want to let people give me donations i have not activated that my goal with this is simply to share the word of God through this podcast and through some blogs that I'm hoping to be more active in writing. And I want you to enjoy that. If I ever get to the point where I feel like I need donations, I guess then I will activate that. But at this point, I don't feel like I need to do that. Um, I paid for the website out of my own pocket for this year and just decided that that's what I wanted to do. Anyway, the Lord has blessed me and enabled me to do that, and I'm enjoying doing this. So that's how that has all come to be. And a few other things. Uh, We are in the season of Lent. Lent is an opportunity for us to reflect to reflect on our lives and to think about where we've been and where we are going in life. To think about what we've done, the regrets we might have, and not that we should dwell on those regrets because those regrets bring about guilt. And actually, guilt is our topic tonight. Guilt is the worst, isn't it? Guilt is the worst. Guilt beats you up. Guilt demoralizes you. And it is the devil's tool. It is the devil's tool. He jumps on that because he wants to jump on us and separate us from Jesus. And that's 
That's what he wants to do. He wants to separate us from Jesus every chance he gets. And St. Paul went through all kinds of battles with guilt related to his life before he was a believer in Jesus Christ. Because before he was a believer in Jesus Christ, he was a persecutor of Jesus Christ. He used to hunt up the believers and take them away to be tried and executed. And he would stand there as they were stoned to death and give his approval to their deaths, their bloody, horrible, tragic deaths. St. Paul was a violent man. He would not be your pick for pastor. He really wouldn't. If you had a list of men that you could possibly pick from to be your pastor of your church, and you read the bio on him, you would say, I wouldn't want that guy, not based on his history. But you see, Jesus picked him and changed him and led him to faith because Jesus had big plans for the Apostle Paul. And in order to enable him to serve, he had to help him get beyond that guilt, didn't he? And that's what God does for us too. If guilt has you on the shelf, then you can't serve because you're feeling guilty all the time. You're thinking about things you've done that you regret, whether in your mind they are great big or not. To God, sin is sin. And his son, Jesus Christ, came into the world to take away all the sin of the world, no matter what that sin might be. See, God doesn't see sin as big or little. He sees sin as sin. And all sin separates you from the love of God. When Jesus came, he came to live under the laws of God, his Father, and he did that perfectly for us, and he gave that perfect life as a credit to our account with him. He did for us what we could not do. And then he suffered and died on the cross to remove our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. He has taken away our sin and our guilt and our shame. You see, it's gone completely. But we, being weak sinners, keep going back and dragging the guilt back to ourselves. You see, it's a lot like taking the garbage out, putting it in the can, 
and then you decide you want your trash again, and then you go back and you bring the trash back in the house. Who does that? Really? Who does that? That nasty trash, that stinky trash. But that's what we do. That is what we do when we decide to bring our sin, really, back into the house. When we decide to go back and dwell upon our guilt and dwell upon our sins that have been taken away already. They've already been forgiven. That's why I'm telling you, guilt is the worst. Let what is forgiven be forgiven. And don't let the devil come and beat you up and tell you all about your sin all over again. I want to read to you a little bit from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Here St. Paul writes, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy. The idea behind mercy is that God reaches down from heaven and saves the person who cannot help themselves. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace, that's God's amazing love, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. So, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, Paul says, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on in verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Who hasn't felt that? If you're honest with yourself, there are times where we feel that. Where your sin has bothered you for whatever reason, and you say to yourself, I am the worst sinner. That's where Paul was. When he thinks of his, or when he thought of his violent acts in his past life, before he was a believer in Jesus, and the people he victimized by violence, the people whose time of grace he drastically shortened by leading them to a certain death ever so quickly, and they didn't get to live out their life because he persecuted them because of their faith in Jesus. And yet in mercy and grace, God reaches out to Paul, Paul the criminal, 
and saves him and leads him to believe in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and eternal life and takes him, if you read Galatians, takes him out into the desert and instructs him the way the other apostles were instructed. And then calls him to be an apostle and sends him out to preach, sends him out across Europe to preach to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And Paul suffers greatly for the gospel. Whippings, imprisonment, shipwrecks, being beaten, left for dead. He suffers greatly for the gospel. But God works through this man to build churches. By that, I don't mean brick buildings. I mean congregations of people who believe in Jesus, gathering congregations of people in various places to believe in Jesus. He is here in 1 Timothy in awe, humbly in awe of the mercy shown to him. Yet, in spite of this, he still has that feeling of guilt nipping at him, doesn't he? He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says that loud and clear, of whom I am the worst. If Jesus Christ can save me, Paul says, the worst of sinners, surely he can save you. All our sins in Jesus are taken away. All our guilt in Jesus is taken away. And then we might say, well, why, Paul, do I still backslide and do some of the things that I've done before? And then I feel guilty all over again. Well, he speaks to that in Romans. Romans chapter 7. Um, the NIV gives it the subtitle of struggling with sin. So let me read just a part of this from verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but that I am unspiritual. By I am unspiritual, that's any human being. But here specifically speaking of himself too. Sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, 
It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. So sin living in me, even as a Christian, I still have sin living in me, leading me to do things that I know are wrong. That's what he's saying. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. So we still have that sinful nature living in us, and we still have, as a Christian, the the new man, the Holy Spirit living in us. And they, they struggle against one another. For I have for I have the desire to do what is good, because that's because of faith, because of believing in Jesus. But I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. And that's what frustrates us, isn't it? And that's when we get feeling guilty again, isn't it? Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am, Paul says. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he has the answer. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. Jesus has delivered us from this. So that when we slip up and go backwards and we sin, Jesus' one-time sacrifice on the cross, his blood shed on that cross, has redeemed us, has paid the price, has washed us clean. Those sins are forgiven. God still loves you. Those sins are already forgiven. Before you even beat yourself up and start feeling guilty about it, those sins are already forgiven. Think on that a while. And the writer to the Hebrews, who we're not sure who wrote that letter, maybe Paul, maybe Peter, maybe Apollos, we don't know. Um, Hebrews 5 <clears throat> I want to add just something here and here it is <clears throat> it's actually the end of chapter 4 in Hebrews and it's an exhortation. 
let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. See, we can't say, oh, I'm so sinful. But rather, we can still go to the throne of grace in prayer. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God is there to lead us away from the sin. God is there to reassure us we are forgiven. God is there to help us when we backslid. God is there, and he is bigger than our sin. He is bigger than our guilt. God is there. And that's what St. Paul discovered. The same God who delivered St. Paul from his unbelief and his ignorance and turned him from being a violent man of unbelief into a gentle man of faith who proclaimed the messages of Jesus Christ to many and led him to live his life differently, oh so differently. And oh how differently he led, he led his life. He led his life for he led his life for Jesus, didn't he? And he was just in awe of that what Jesus did for him. And we need to be too. Yes, guilt is the worst. And the devil will jump on that and he will lie to you and tell you that God doesn't love you anymore. And he will lie to you and tell you that there's no more forgiveness. But that isn't true. That's not God's message. God keeps forgiving you. God tells you his forgiveness is bigger than your sin. And that the cross is where your eyes need to be because there is grace. There is forgiveness. You are forgiven. Sometimes we backslide and we get overwhelmed by our sin immediately as soon as we do it. And sometimes we get caught up in sin and we just don't care. And somebody else has to lead us to repentance and make us realize what we've done. And then it sinks in and we realize the harm that we have done and the danger we were in. <clears throat> Sometimes God has to do that. And then we repent. But he's never done shepherding us, is he? He's never done shepherding us because he's never done loving us. He was never done shepherding St. Paul either. 
and making him later on a shepherd of others. I want to end with this as far as this Bible study is concerned. 1 Timothy 1.15 Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. For this very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Oh, how good God is to us. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us because God is good. And that'll end our Bible study. Now, the sermon's coming up here in just a little bit. And our sermon from Sunday, the sermon was preached on February 27th. And the sermon text is Luke 9, verses 28 to 36. And the sermon theme is when heaven came to earth. It invites us to behold Jesus' glory and reminds us that even though we, through the disciples' eyes, get to see the glory of Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration, we still have to go down the mountain and live our lives until he comes again. I hope you enjoy the sermon if you haven't already heard it. And uh, the Lord be with you. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. Now, before you go and listen to the sermon, or before you go, um, if you've enjoyed this, please tell others. Please tell others. And also... Um, please consider giving us a five-star review on Spotify. That'll help others find us more easily and help us come up more in uh, the searches when people do internet searches. If you could do that, I would really appreciate it. The Lord be with you and grant you a wonderful week. All right, bye-bye for now. Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God for our consideration today is the gospel lesson for this day from Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 28.
About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. Talking with Jesus, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the, cl- entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. These are God's words. When heaven came to earth, behold Jesus' glory. You must go down the mountain. It all started eight days prior. It all started with Jesus' question. When he asked his disciples, who do the crowds say I am? Oh, and there were various answers. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others say one of the prophets of long ago come back to life. Then Jesus narrowed it down. What about you? Who do you say that I am? It was all so personal. The disciples were quiet. And they kind of looked at one another. Then Peter answered, The Christ of God. What an amazing answer. What a good answer. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. Then he went on to say, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter didn't like this answer. He took Jesus aside and rebuked him. And Jesus, in front of everyone, told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have but the things of men in mind and not the things of God. 
Then he went on to teach. Anyone who would come after me must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Jesus went on to teach this way. But I imagine Peter felt badly, even after he had given that great confession. To truly know who Jesus is and his purpose of being Christ, that the Christ being the Christ meant sacrifice on a cross that was so hard because all the disciples were emotionally attached to him after having spent three years together and Jesus knew that his ministry was coming to an end his time was short it was time for his departure he ended his teaching that day with these words I tell you the truth Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And about a week later, these words came true. He chose Peter, James, and John to go with him to pray. Jesus liked to pray very early in the morning while it was still dark in well what we say in Spanish la madrugada it's like three in the morning Peter and the disciples liked to sleep at three in the morning that wasn't their chosen time to pray that was Jesus private time to pray when no one was asking him to heal them when no one was asking him for much of anything So he he woke them up. Come with me. And they walked up a mountain. So these sleepy-eyed disciples, you can kind of imagine them tripping over whatever was out there and over their own feet, went with him up a mountain in the dark to pray. And they got there and they began praying. And as they began to pray, Jesus began to change. There are three disciples, or three Bible writers, rather, that record these events. You have Matthew and his account. You have Mark and his account, and Luke and his account. We have Luke here today, and this is how he records it. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. We can't imagine that. Suddenly, heaven came to earth. Suddenly, he who had put aside his heavenly glory brought it back for a few moments. A portion of it, not all of it. They could not bear the sight of all of it. And he was cloaked in a portion of his heavenly glory. And they saw this. And there were men that they had only heard about when they would go to synagogue or the temple and heard the scriptures read to them. 
men who had died long before Moses and Elijah. Moses, who served God faithfully, who the book of Numbers, Lord in the book of Numbers records as the most humble man who has ever lived. And then God buried him in a secret place. Elijah, who served God as prophet, and then he took him to heaven in a whirlwind. Remember the chariots of fire, and the horses of fire came through, and then the whirlwind. Everybody thinks he went to heaven in the chariots of fire. If you read it, you discover that he really went to heaven in the whirlwind. And so he went to heaven alive. There they are together on the mountain with Jesus. They appeared in glorious splendor. La kavod Adonai, the glory of the God, the glory of God. This incredible gift was given to them. Talking with Jesus, they spoke about his departure. What's interesting here, the word for departure in Greek is exodon, where we get our word exodus from. And it means to depart, to leave. And it has a Latin cousin that means exodus, which we named the book of Exodus after. Departure. They were speaking about Jesus' departure at Jerusalem. Which would happen after dying on the cross and rising from the dead. After he had redeemed the world from sin and guilt and shame. And taken away all of the sins of the world. After the happy day of Easter was celebrated. The resurrection day. After he appeared to many people for 40 days after, then he would ascend and his departure would be complete. So which was all about to be brought to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter, James, and John saw all this. They were in awe. How can you understand this? They couldn't. They were seeing heavenly things with human minds. There's no way they could understand this. But they didn't want to leave. No one wants to leave heaven. Here's a little bit of heaven come down to earth. No one wants to leave heaven. We should never make fun of Peter for the things he says here. He didn't know what he was saying because he was overwhelmed by what he was seeing. He wanted to stay. Lord, let's let's make a shelter. One for you, and one for Elijah, and one for Moses. You see how he unselfishly was thinking of of them and not himself. Let's stay here. All his worries were gone. Anything that made him afraid was gone. 
Imagine the great peace Peter, James, and John were feeling right there and then. Experiencing all of this. In awe of it all. Peter says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then, another guest comes. While they were speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. Just like at Mount Sinai. When the Jews were gathered around the bottom of the mountain and they were afraid of God speaking to them. Remember that fearful day when God came down upon Mount Sinai and there was thunder and there was fire on the mountain. And then God came down on the mountain in cloud and thunder and everyone was terrified to hear God speak to them. Moses, don't let God speak to us anymore. Well, this was a whole lot more gentle. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Why? They were in the presence of the Father. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen, listen to him. In Matthew's account, when it's all over, the three disciples are down on their faces, and Jesus touches them and tells them, don't be afraid. He comforts them. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. Oh, how they wanted to stay. Oh, the overwhelming things that had gone on there. Who wouldn't want to stay in heaven? The troubles of earth for a little while were gone. They weren't thinking about what evil deeds the enemies of Jesus were doing to them or to Jesus. But Jesus had to bid them come. It's time to go down the mountain now that you have witnessed this and you are reassured that I truly am the Son of God and my Father has spoken to you and reassured you that I am His beloved Son and I am His chosen one. Have no doubt that I am He. Have no doubts. Put your faith in me. Because evil things are going to happen in the days ahead. Overwhelming things are going to happen in the days ahead. In the days ahead. And when those things happen, I want you to remember this. This day. The things you have witnessed here. And know that I am God. And that I love you. And that all that I do is for your good. For the forgiveness of sins. 
when you are overwhelmed by the world and its violence and its wars and the people that personally attack you and the evil that happens to you personally and the effects of sin in this world that affect you, I want you to remember this day and know that I am God and that I have never left you and I am your help in every moment of life. I am the great physician of the body and the soul, the great healer of the mind and the body, and I am the one that can help your your soul. I am always there for you. And I have taken all of your sin and your guilt and your shame, all of the very many times that you have left me, I have taken all those sins to the cross and taken them away. As far as the east, as far as the east is from the west, so have I cast those sins away from me, says your God. My blood has blotted them out, washed them away. The kingdom of Satan has fallen and I reign. Jesus did all these things. None of us would have wanted to come down the mountain. The disciples went down the mountain with Jesus and they witnessed the events of Holy Week. They saw him hung on a tree. They ran away on Thursday night. Then they saw him hung on a tree. They denied him in their own ways. And they were all forgiven. Peter was reinstated into the ministry after Easter. At a breakfast Jesus called him to. And told, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And they all were sent out into the world to continue to preach the word. Not because they were perfect, not because they were sinless, but because they were forgiven and sent out by God and loved by God. And so are you, my friends. So we go down the mountain of transfiguration today having seen his glory through their eyes, knowing that Jesus is the Christ of God, that Jesus is the chosen one, that Jesus is the one who will bring us to heaven. And we will declare him to our brothers who are weak in spirit, to those that do not know him. We will declare him to one another in our weakest moments that he is savior that he is the lover of our souls and the forgiver of our sins so that when we are overwhelmed by the concerns of life and the threats of war that we know that God is in control and that he loves us 
and that He is near us, and that the world is not out of control because we have a God who is in control, that He loves us always, and that He is near us always. And that one day He will come back and stand upon the earth and take us to be with Him forever in heaven. Because Jesus Christ is your Messiah, your Christ who has taken away your sin, your guilt, and your shame, and has opened heaven to you, and you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to Love Letters from Jesus. I'm your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic, and I look forward to you listening again. Once again, if you liked our podcast, please give us a five-star review. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Anchor, or Google Podcasts. Look forward to having you listen to us again. Have a great week.